0: Our scripture reading for today is from John 5, 19 through 29. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man do not marvel at this for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment
1: this is God's word Thanks Thanks God. So God. thank you Vicki um, if I haven't met you yet, I am Georgia. I'm a deacon and staff member here at Citizens. And some, uh, Fourth Sundays, we have a bit more dialogue and discussions, uh, with questions. So that's what we're going to be doing today in the, in place of just a full sermon. Um, so before we get going, let me just pray for us. God, we are grateful that you have brought each of us here today. Um, No matter how we felt when we woke up, whether our bodies were tired or our minds were foggy or our hearts were um, full of loneliness or sadness or whatever else we were carrying, you invited us here and you want to be with us here. Um, We are grateful that we get to experience you and be with you in community. um, And so we ask that you would help remind us that you are with us, um, not just as individuals this morning, but collectively. Um, And we ask that you would help us to hear from you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So before we dive into some questions about the text, I would like to begin with a bit of framing for our time together. If you have ever taken a philosophy class, please raise your hand great. That's quite a few people. Um, Keep your hand raised. If you really enjoyed that class, keep your hand raised. Okay, a couple hands fell. If you enjoyed it so much that you were a philosophy major, keep your hand raised. Okay, none of us. Okay, well, yeah, goes to show a little bit that, um, yeah, culturally we just care a little bit about um, maybe more practical majors and paths of vocation. Um, and it is what it is. I have never taken a philosophy class. Um, my major in college was human service studies, which is kind of a broader version of social work. Um, but I always like to think of it as applied sociology, which I don't know if that's fair, but. I really loved every sociology class I took. I loved all of the case studies. I loved all of the discussion. It just felt really relevant to me, really practical, really useful, really tangible. Um, and not just to me and my little subculture of college that I found myself in, um, but to everyone. It felt like everyone in the world and whatever subculture or um kind of climate that they found themselves in. That sociology was just vastly applicable and important. Um, The past few weeks, we've heard stories from John 3, 4, and 5, stories about being human, about relating to one another, about relating to the most perfect human, Jesus. And although these stories took place thousands of years ago, they can still feel pretty relatable. These stories are about emotions, about grief, about longing, about joy, about anger. And these stories are about situations that are common to the human experience, about illness, about isolation, about pain and about relational conflict. But today's text feels different. It is different. It's in the context of a story and Jesus is speaking to people but his monologue is a little challenging to stick with. It can feel kind of like a swirling existential theory on the underpinnings of the metaphysical world, kind of like an abstract and circular commentary on esoteric and even apocalyptic themes. To me, this text feels like I've been plucked out of the very enjoyable sociology classes of chapters three, four, and five, and into some philosophy class that I didn't even register for. Um, And I kind of just want to to tune out, to check out. The text feels circular, complicated, even a little bit ethereal. If you already checked out when Vicki read the passage, first, I forgive you, it's okay. Um, But second, I get it. Um, It's really easy to prefer a text from the Bible, that feels a bit more accessible, a story that feels relatable and relevant, even to prefer a Jesus that is warm and patient, dynamic, yet straightforward. But the invitation to me, to you today, is to not just tune out of what might seem like a in-the-clouds philosophy class, but to stay engaged. And not just to stay present in a heady way, but to engage our emotions and our bodies, too. So in the next 30-ish minutes, we'll have two sections for reflection. We'll read the passage again and reflect about Jesus' relationship with the Father. And then we'll listen to the passage one more time and have a dialogue about Jesus' relationship with the world. Um, So, first, we'll begin with Jesus' relationship to the Father. I'm going to read John 5, 19 through 29 again. And while you're welcome to note particular words or phrases that stick out to you, I also invite you to pay attention to your heart and your body as I read. So, maybe consider what emotional tone is Jesus conveying in the passage. Maybe he seems excited, serious, tender, or instructive. What emotions are you feeling as you hear Jesus' words? Maybe frustration, curiosity, confusion, or hopefulness. Um, Are you feeling any sensations in your body as you listen? Maybe some discomfort, some tension in your jaw, or a furrowed brow, Or maybe lightness. Maybe your shoulders have lowered and your heart rate is slowing a little bit. Okay, so let's listen together. And in this first time of reading, we're going to particularly pay um, attention to Jesus' relationship with the Father. So feel free to close your eyes if you want as I read. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these he will show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So you can open your eyes and come back. First of all, we can just reflect together um, with particular attention to Jesus' relationship with the Father. What emotions do you sense from Jesus? as he speaks or feel in yourself as you listen and then why might those emotions be important or what could they point to feel free to just shout out what emotion did you feel in that, or what emotion do you feel Jesus is conveying? Yeah, not sure. um, That's okay. <laughs> sure, yeah. He really wants the listeners to pay attention. Yeah. Um, why does it matter that Jesus has just as much authority as the Father? Does anything about Jesus' authority feel uncomfortable or threatening to you, or hopeful or encouraging? I like that. Marley, do you have something you want to share? <laughs> Great. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, thanks for that. Um, in verse 19, we hear, so Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. One commentator has shared the point of tension between the negation and affirmation of what's emphasized is that the activity of the son is entirely defined by the activity of the father. And the limitation of the son is so intimately connected to the unimaginable limitlessness of the father That the point is less what the son cannot do, of the son doing nothing of his own accord, than it is about the one with whom he does it. What are your thoughts on the limitations of the son and the limitlessness of the father? And then why might their intimacy be maybe the more important takeaway, as the commentator shares? Yeah, it's I think in our culture we use the word love a lot, right? But in this passage, like it's it's not there lightly. Jesus doesn't say that word lightly. Um yeah, that's a great lead into our next question. Um so verse twenty, yeah, it does say, For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And another commentator has said, the marvelous disclosure of the nature and character of God, utterly depends not on God's love of us, but on the love of the Father for the Son, and on the love of the Son for the Father. The achievement of the divine self-disclosure in Jesus climaxed in the cross was supremely the outflow of the reciprocal love of the Father and Son within the Godhead. It just seems to me, I don't know if it seems to you, but it seems to me that there are many people who today believe that one of the reasons God created humans was because he was lonely. How might this passage offer a bit of a different view? that's a great parallel yeah thanks for sharing that yeah feel free to keep mulling this over as we move on. Um, But yeah, we're going to move on to part two, Jesus' relationship with the world. Um, So I'm going to read the passage one more time. And again, you can note words and phrases that stick out to you, um, as well as the emotional tone that Jesus seems to be conveying. Any emotions you feel as you hear Jesus' words, and then any sensations that you might be experiencing in your body. Okay, let's listen together, particularly considering Jesus' relationship with the world. Feel free to close your eyes again if you want. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. You can open your eyes. So with particular attention to Jesus' relationship with the world, what emotions do you sense from Jesus as he speaks or feel in yourself as you listen, listen? Why might these emotions be important? Or what might they be pointing to? urgency and a sense of like, no guys, I really want you to believe me and hear what I'm saying to be authentic and legit, even if it sounds a little crazy. for sharing. Well, in this passage Jesus talks a lot about eternal life or just life and live. And he talks about Jesus and the Father both giving life. When we use the phrase eternal life, it's easy for folks who aren't Christians and even some of us who are, to think of eternal life as being only about the future, as like a post-death experience. But here it seems like Jesus is talking about new life as both an after-death reality and a right-now reality. Why does new life in the here and now matter? And to step out of the possibility of new life now feeling a bit cliché, Can you remember a time when new life in Jesus in the here and now really did feel true, genuine, or nourishing for you? That's wonderful. Thanks, John. It's really wonderful. Thank you, Leah. Yeah, it, to me, it just calls to mind resurrection, like that we have so much death in our world around us, so much pain, so much, um, even if it, it isn't actual physical death, there is, yeah, so much that points to decay and suffering and longing, and so... Yeah, we need hope. We need, um, forgiveness and we need to be able to live into not just the like Jesus saving us from sin reality of the resurrection, which is true, but just like our bodies, our minds, our souls being renewed and the world around us and relationships being repaired, like those hopes of the resurrection. Um, At the very beginning of John's gospel, in chapter 1, verse 4, John says that in him, Jesus, was life, and life was the light of men. And here in chapter 5, verse 26, Jesus says, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also have life in himself. So Jesus doesn't just offer life he is life himself and yet Jesus is also judge the next verse verse 27 says and the father has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man so a bit what Hamilton was sharing If we can more easily understand Jesus as life and even want to see him as good as life, why is it difficult to see him also as judge? How might it be actually good news that Jesus is both life and judge? That's a really powerful image. Thanks, Vicki. Yeah, Mitchell. somehow Jesus is like trustworthy enough to have that authority to make those judgments calls.
2: really good. yeah. Yeah,
1: that's great. Thank you everyone so much for sharing. Um, We are gonna wrap up, um, but yeah, just wanted to say even if you didn't speak aloud, um, really glad that you were here. Your presence is still really important and valuable. As we read scripture, it's important for us to be honest about how we're experiencing the text. Are we feeling distracted or even a little bit bored? Are we um, experiencing some tension as we read the text? But ultimately, we can't stop there. We also must acknowledge that we are not alone as we engage with scripture. God is with us. And so we ask God to show us more of himself as we read and listen and sit with the text. We can ask Jesus, show me how what you say is relevant to me how it's good news. Show me how my uncomfortability with your words or my confusion invites me to linger longer with you. Show me how your words reveal my longings and show me how you want to meet my needs. If you identify as a follower of Jesus, the details that Jesus shares in today's text about his intimacy with the Father and his relationship with the world, the details about death and life, about his authority, these are central to what it means to be a Christian. They're central truths for us to mull over and for us to allow to impact us. May we not shy away from them as too complex or not interesting enough. May we recognize the care and the urgency with, with, with which Jesus speaks and allow his words to undo and to tend to us. And if you don't currently consider yourself a follower of Jesus, or if you felt some tension today, I invite you to continue to sit with Jesus' words this week. Let Jesus know your thoughts and your questions, and listen for how he wants to speak to you. Let me pray for us. God, we are grateful that you are both life and judge. We're grateful for all of the ways that your identity is so good and so pure and so wonderful and so truly awesome um, in ways that can even be hard for us to understand or fathom. But we are grateful that you reveal yourself to us in your word, that John wrote down these things that you said about yourself, Jesus, and that we get to hear them, um, not just this morning, but we can access them and engage with you, Jesus, who said them uh, on a daily basis. That is wild that we get to have a conversation with the speaker, the author um, in real time. And so we ask that you would help us do that, that this week as we uh, move throughout our days, that. You would help us continue mulling over these truths that you've revealed about yourself and that um, they would be lodged in our hearts and that we would receive um, your character, your presence, all of who you are, Jesus, as good news. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.